0: Thank you for doing this. I appreciate I'm, you. I'm going. very excited.
1: I, I feel like this is good for me this week, just to like, I'm a very um, focus only on the present and not talk about the past or the future, at least for this year. And so I, it is time to reflect. <laughs> We're going. So
0: whenever you want to start chatting. So this
1: week will be good to reflect. So Sophie, who are you? <laughs> I, I knew this question was coming, but I still don't have a good answer to it. <laughs> Who am I? I feel like I'm going to focus on the facts. My name is Sophie Fella, 21 years old, still figuring out who I am every day of, you know, my life. Currently, I am a student at Harvard, but studying remotely from Hong Kong because of COVID. I grew up in Shanghai. Mom is from Shanghai. Dad is from Germany speak a mix of Chinglish Sherman at home. I have a sister, she's in Germany. COVID has brought me here to Hong Kong where I've, where I've had the chance to meet lots of cool people. Yeah, it feels like home here. I feel like that is a good answer to who I am right now in this current moment. I feel like that's a pretty well-rounded <laughs> answer. <laughs> wow. that was but great. yes, I'm also, um, I play rugby. I have a lot of hobbies, study psychology, study economics. Plenty of facts that make up who I am, and plenty of people around me who make up who I am as well. Family, friends. I think that's
0: so beautiful. Most people that have come on have defined themselves, I think, in relation to other people. So
1: it's interesting mm. that you kind of did that as well. Yeah. Like, I family. mean, I think taking a class a semester called Psychology of Close Relationships... Just speaks to the power of relationships in our lives because we define ourselves based off of the impact we have on other people and the impact they have on us as well. <laughs> there is I have a friend
0: at uni who her one goal in life is to be considered kind and she's like if I can like leave this world and people think of me as kind then that's a how good goal. Her like yeah. complete definition. I'm gonna come back to the Harvard thing at the front. <laughs> okay, <laughs> We're gonna come, come back <laughs> full circle. <laughs> so do you want to talk about Harvard? In the process of that, how did you get there? Uh, Why yes. did you want to go to Harvard?
1: <laughs> I will talk about it because I think the reason why I like to tell people this story is because I never in a million years thought that I would end up going to this school and I if I can inspire anyone out there to just take a shot I I like to use you miss 100% of the shots you don't take as a big life motto quote because I didn't think I was ever going to apply let alone get in. I was um, growing up in Shanghai, went to Shanghai American School. It was a very competitive school academically, and so we had all these parents wanting their kids to go to Ivy League schools, and I was definitely not at the top of my class at all. All I did was I played rugby, I played sports. I really, really enjoyed it. But academically, not the best student at all. Very average. And when it came time to look for what college I wanted to go to, I knew I was going to go to the U.S. and decided that, hey, let's look for a place to play rugby at. And I remember junior year, so third year of high school out of four, you usually go and take college visits. And so my parents and I were in, in the U.S., visiting brown penn state like random universities that i'd found with good rugby programs and we actually drove past to go to the boston airport and my dad was like, "Oh, you know, you, you know Harvard's in uh Cambridge nearby, right? Do you want to go take a visit?" and i was like, "Huh, oh, yeah, why would i go visit there? Like never gonna apply." And then little did I know, we got back to Shanghai. And that fall, I had heard from a friend who was playing rugby at Harvard that, hey, they were getting a, a new coach. You should reach out to her. And I did. Turns out this coach, this new coach at Harvard, was a coach that I'd previously met at one of my like summer rugby camps in the US three years, two years before that. And it was just one of those like, small world coincidences where I felt like the universe was doing weird things. And I was like, oh, okay, let's take a shot. Let's email her. What did you say in that email
0: to <laughs> interrupt you? I was like, <laughs>
1: dear Mel, hey, remember me? <laughs> um, because at this rugby camp, it was my one of my very first rugby camps in the U.S. Uh, after I'd, I'd only played rugby for a year in Shanghai, went to the U.S. to this rugby camp in uh, the state of Washington And she was coaching there at Central Washington University. And I remember her talking to me and my parents about being interested in potentially recruiting me to go to Central Washington. And I was like, I kind of want to find a university that has more of a balance of academics and rugby. Um, Because Central Washington was kind of in the middle of nowhere in Washington. And I wasn't too interested. But it was the same coach. She had left there, went back to Harvard. And so in that email, I was like hey, remember when you were interested in recruiting me a couple years ago? Well, remember how I said I was looking for a balance of academics and rugby? Yeah, Harvard Harvard would be a good place. And, and she replied, and I kind of started the whole uh, recruiting process with her, which was very confusing, especially as an international student, because being an Ivy League school, they don't really offer athletic scholarships, and you have to get in all harvard athletes have to get into the school on their own like through the admissions process with kind of like just a recommendation but you have to pass all the criteria that any other harvard student passes as well so yeah it was very complicated and i kind of was like i don't know if this is going to work out but might as well give it a shot and then i think it was december 2018 where they emailed me and i clicked on it and i was like what the bad word you can swear it's fine. <laughs> what the fuck yeah what and yeah disbelief um because i never thought that i of all people would get in Why do you think you wouldn't get in that makes me upset to hear <laughs> honestly i don't think i don't think anyone ever thinks they'd get in. One of the things that you talk about a lot at at, um, Harvard is obviously this feeling of, like, an imposter syndrome that everyone has. I don't think I've met someone, like, even the smartest person that I, I know who goes there, they're like... I don't know how I got in, or, like, you just don't, unless you're overly confident, who knows, I'm, I'm sure there are those people, but, yeah, for me, I was just, if I were to go to, like, a panel in front of high school students and talk about how to get into Harvard, I wouldn't know what to say, because, for me, it was, oh, I just wanted to play rugby, and, As long as you're passionate about something and you write about it in your application and show that you're an interesting human being worth taking a look at, I think they give you a chance. They really look at well-rounded people. But yeah, did not have the best SAT scores, did not. I, I took the SAT, the ACT, pretty average scores, GPA, not great. Like, you would not pick me out of a group of people to go to Harvard. But that's why I think it's important to tell the story as well, because you can be bang average and still get in. And that's why you just gotta go for it and send an email, take a shot, don't ask, don't get. Yeah, no, if you if you don't try, it's kind of guaranteed failure, isn't it? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> and that imposter syndrome kind of speaks to the power of that institution itself. It's been a few
0: years now. Do you still feel like you have that? Or have you adjusted at all to be like, no, I deserve <laughs> to be here?
1: Because oh, um, you clearly do. I think I definitely still have it, like, especially when, when you're there in this for the my first year there and first half of my second year pre-covid you forget what school you're at because it's just it's just university you're there you're there with other students and i think sometimes you sit down and you're like oh shit we go to harvard huh like wow but you don't have those moments when you're on campus you have those moments when for example when COVID hits and you go to hong kong and people are like oh where are you from what are you doing in hong kong and then you go through the whole story of this is what i like to say i go to university in the u.s and boston And then curious people will ask, oh, there are many universities in Boston, which one? Some people just leave it at that and then they they might find out later and be like, wait, what? But usually I don't. It's not the first thing I want people to know because it immediately puts this pressure on you to be some sort of genius, which I'm not. Or some people will be like, oh, hard math question. (laughs) What's the answer? And you're like, uh, sorry. Yeah, so the, there is this like pressure that comes with it, which I don't love because at the end of the day, I'm just a very normal person.
0: We're gonna chop and change. We'll come back to Harvard to talk about what you're studying okay. and things like that. Yeah, but I we'll definitely don't back. want. I think you got my vibe that I don't like talking no, about this for too long. No, but I think you have to like as much as like you said. You don't necessarily want it to be the first thing, which by the way is not a bad thing if it's the first thing you say. <laughs>
1: But I think it's important that you do share it because it's a part of who you are. No, yeah, Something- yeah. I think, um, no, there are people who are like, Sophie, you need to own it. I think, yeah, I do. I. It is a big part of who I am and it is one of my many homes but I don't want that to be the first like I don't want to walk into a room and have people go like ooh pervert
0: <laughs> yeah that frat bro kind of like voice so we jump back to Shanghai yeah so what
1: was the rugby culture like there because I think of Shanghai and I don't necessarily think rugby <laughs> no yeah Shanghai. It's pretty funny that I started playing rugby at an American school in Shanghai. It just feels like those are (laughs) contrasting things. We had a very good... My high school had lots of sports, um, different seasons. And I actually used to be a dancer. That's a big switch from dancer to rugby. (laughs) I know. (laughs) When you look at my legs now, it's like, what? (laughs) I used to dance and... It was, it was a big part of who I was. I I had a lot of passions as a kid, played guitar very intensely for a while. And then it was always like, ah, this doesn't feel right. Let's move on to the next thing. Was really into acting and theater for all of middle school. Went to like these summer acting camps in the U.S. as well as like a 12 year old. And I I remember telling my parents, I'm going to fly to the U.S. by myself if you're not going to like want to come with me because I really want to go to this acting camp. Going along with the theme of shoot your shot and go for it. I remember as like a I think I was 12 years old, I would email directors and producers in Shanghai of like random companies cuz I really wanted to act in like a short film and one of them actually replied and was like, "Yeah, we can uh we we need to set up auditions for this short movie." and ended up being in this random short movie in Shanghai. I'm just emphasizing the theme of emailing, blind emailing, going for it. But yes, so what was it? Guitar, theater, acting, dance. Dance was a big one. For me, dancing was a big part of my life, and I wanted to be really, really good at it, like with all the things I did. But one thing holding me back was actually, I think this is important for this podcast because it's kind of where the whole body image stuff starts in my life my journey going to ballet classes with very strict chinese ballet teachers who you know force you into splits and stretches but also force you to stand on a scale to weigh yourself before classes and i think they would actually read out your weight to the rest of the class as well that stuff as like a eight year old, 10 year old girl is just, you can see it's not healthy at all. And it's actually eventually why I quit dancing or dancing competitively. Cause I just, I was always more muscular. I was like slightly bigger than a lot of the like petite girls around me. And whenever I would, you know, hold my arms up in, in these positions, my ballet teachers would be like, you need to get rid of that muscle. That is just too manly. And now looking back, at those pictures of me at that age, I was like, I look very small and (laughs) it's not, I'm not that muscular, um, compared to now, but obviously at that time I didn't know any better. But yeah, journey into rugby was, uh, I think it was, I played soccer first, um, my freshman year of high school. And then it was my PE teachers and soccer coaches who eventually said, Sophie, you'd be pretty good at rugby. You should try it out. You've got like pretty muscular legs from dance. So, so it, try it and I was like you know what I remember watching a rugby game and thinking oh this is a very cool sport and I feel I have this feeling that this could be something that I'm more naturally good at because it felt like in dance the whole balance of natural talent hard work you know there's a quote of hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard but I always thought at that age of like age 13 what if you have someone who has natural talent and hard work and you don't have natural talent and just hard work you can't beat someone with hard work and natural talent or like natural at that time for dance it was natural the the body you needed for dance so it felt like i was working away at something i was never going to be good at or or at the level that i wanted to be whereas rugby i was like oh i have a feeling a good feeling about this and so that's how I started, played for my school team that year, my sophomore year. It was really fun. We won a couple of the major tournaments that we were playing in. It was like China Cup, APAC, which actually involved some schools in Hong Kong as well. Yeah, it was, that was the beginning of Sophie's rugby journey. And I'm still here, still haven't changed hobbies. <laughs> how many years <laughs> later is that now? Like Eight eight years of rugby
0: there's a few things i want to unpack there i feel like i've been rambling well i love rambling like i said earlier to sophie i love like unadulterated just tangents and that's all podcasts are i'm good at
1: throw in some quotes
0: and life mottos
1: along with personal
0: stories i was also very impressed that you said the talent work hard i like i'm thinking about it now i know the quote in my head and then i speak it out loud and i'm like (laughs) it's like never comes out how i want it to yeah it's
1: definitely been like a a desktop background or something at some point <laughs> so do you feel like you have the talent and the work hard in rugby I do think there's something as a kid I was always looking for my and I would use this term as well my niche yeah and it felt like oh guitar wasn't it acting wasn't it dance wasn't it and when I started playing rugby I remember it saying to my friends my my parents I think I found it this is this is my niche it was a balance of I'm willing to work really really hard at this but it feels like my hard work isn't wasted because I've also got that kind of like the natural strength um and body for it and mentality <laughs> yeah. with rugby
0: do you think that coming from that really strict ballet background Did rugby heal your relationship? I'm just assuming, Hmm. because with body image and being a young girl in ballet, that comes food (laughs) issues as well. Was rugby healing for that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was healing but not in a very distinct way Um, it was definitely gradual over time as a dancer and not just ballet I I did like contemporary stuff as well I remember my freshman year of high school some of my dance friends and I would definitely limit the amount of food we were eating while we were training overly training for for dance I remember Saturdays were my least favorite day of the week which is (laughs) very weird because it's Saturday because we would go to the the studio at like 8 a.m. in the morning and leave at probably 7 p.m. And throughout the day, we just would eat like small pieces of sushi. Because we were constantly like, you were very, very aware of what your body was doing and, and what it looked like. It was all about aesthetics and, and dance. Starting rugby, I remember starting to care more about fitness and strength training and that was this is it's hard to imagine because strength training is such a huge part of my my life now but going to the gym and lifting weights or like doing squats I feel like at that at that time a lot of girls that I knew would go to like the medicine balls and do abs and go to the treadmill and do cardio so it was it was pretty weird to be squatting with the guys or something like that but i kind of like dipped my toes into it i wasn't fully into it until i went to a this was after my junior year i went to arkansas of all places uh in the u.s to go to this it was called american rugby pro training center and that's where i learned how to properly do strength and conditioning training and then since then i was like this is cool this is fun i need this for my sport but like i said it, it was a very gradual change in my body and my mentality towards my body i think it's worth noting that I'm still not at the place I want to be with body image because one of the things I, my teammates, my current Harvard teammates and I talk a lot about is the whole spectrum of performance versus aesthetics. You have female athletes who you're told to be fast, be strong, tackle, and you want to optimize for your sport, especially for a sport like rugby. It's like two opposite ends of the spectrum. You want to have this performance, this athletic performance for a rugby player, but on the other end, you have these societal ideals for females, especially in a place like Hong Kong or Shanghai. I think in the US, it's slightly better, but you have these beauty ideals, which are (laughs) to be slimmer, to not be as muscular, don't look manly, be feminine. And I think throughout my first year, especially in college, I noticed that I would kind of hold back a bit in the gym. I remember I could probably squat more than I did, probably lift more than I did on like a dumbbell row, but wouldn't use the heavier weight because it was like, oh, I don't want to get too big. I'm lifting a lot. I don't want to get too muscular. Ideally, I want to work towards getting to a point where athletic performance is the most important thing to me. And I don't think about that f- for lack of better words, like more shallow. And-, and it's completely valid to feel it because it's it's around us everywhere. It's Instagram, social media, and, and culture as well. Like my mom didn't love it when I first started playing rugby. And still will comment on my muscular legs. So things like that, you can't help but still feel a bit iffy about the aesthetic side and it it does matter but i want to get to a point where i focus on what my body does how it functions are my organs healthy am i healthy and not health as an aesthetic as a look because i feel like on social media these days it's like oh this is what looks healthy but you know you know what is actually healthy healthy is having your period healthy is being able to run for however amounts of time lift this you know, be able to function as a human being. And I think we've kind of turned it into into a look, an aesthetic instead of a function. (laughs) But
0: I just want to ask you, what would be your advice for people who are still in that
1: place? Be aware of what you surround yourself with. I think uh, there are many, many body image advocates out there. Lots of female athletes who have started their own platforms as well. It is healthy to to follow, you know, certain accounts on on social media instead of others. I think when I used to follow a lot of like fitness influencers, I would have these thoughts of, wait, this is a fitness influencer, but why do they all look toned but not like you you want your arms to be toned but not too muscular and big. You want your stomach to have like a four pack, like slightly toned, but you can't actually have chunks of like six pack. So it was always this like, where do we want to be? Why is it such a specific target for, for women? When I realized that that was what was influencing my ideals, I stopped following those. And I think, yeah, surrounding yourself with people who you can talk to about it and, and just watch out what you're, what you're looking at on social media every day.
0: Also, to go back to your experience with ballet, it's probably worth highlighting that being weighed in front of a class and being almost shamed into thinking that your weight is unhealthy as an eight-year-old is (laughs) not a healthy situation. (laughs) Yeah, It's
1: it's hard to be aware when you're that age, for sure. And I think that's probably more on parents rather than kids to be be aware.
0: Also on teachers and coaches to watch what they say,
1: Mm I think. I mean, you're
0: definitely not alone in the social media. Like, I'm doing my masters in snc and still i'll see someone with like a perky button she's doing like little half-ass rep kind of things for those hips <laughs> yeah. so i'm like oh maybe i should do that and i'm like i know that's not what works yeah but because yeah, of yeah. the Following in the aesthetic, I'm like, oh, I'll listen to this person because they're an authority. But... Yeah. So it's definitely worth yeah. noting that. I think also, you might be interested, I'll send you this afterwards, but yeah. I was reading this paper the other day that was talking about why ACL injuries are more mm-hmm. prevalent in women mm-hmm. and how all the research into menstrual cycle and hip like position and stuff like that is useless because you're telling women that their bodies are inherently dangerous for sport Mm, yeah which we know is not true but for whatever reason we're told not to lift heavy like you said even though that's what works just as well for us (laughs) as it does for men and when we get better at performance like aesthetics and confidence everything will come with it but for some reason we're so
1: aesthetics driven a bit of a shout out to coastal fitness the gym that i currently go to it's been amazing seeing my mentality change towards more towards performance just by going to a gym where there are so many strong, like, CrossFit women. You're way more focused on your, like, what you're lifting and what your score is on, like, the, the AMRAP rather than how you look. That's that's that was the environment that I needed this year to kind of feel that push towards I want to perform well instead of I want to look good. Another another piece of advice I would say is find healthy environments where it, it pushes you in the right direction. And also a bit of a shout out <laughs> to one of the most inspiring YouTube channels that I've uh, that has helped me through this entire journey myself has been i'm not sure if you've heard of her stephanie buttermore yeah um, all in yeah Yeah. all in journey um she's like uh, like a cancer researcher scientist or doctorate in something i followed her right at the beginning when she didn't do her all-in journey she was super lean and i was i remember saying that is the body type that i want like just pure muscle no fat know anything else and 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 she wasn't big she was petite but very lean and i was like that is what i want and then turns out she was super honest with her followers told everyone that she goes to bed hungry every night because she she restricts her eating to that point and it was very eye-opening for me because here i was admiring this person and then she says hey I have not been honest with you guys. I have not been healthy. I don't have my period. I go to bed hungry, and that's not what you want to do. And so she started that all in journey and let her body turn into what 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 it's supposed to be her set weight. And I thought that's that's probably what these days I eat whatever I want. You know, chocolate, I will eat chocolate ice cream, I will eat ice cream. I'm a big sweet tooth, so I'll literally eat anything I want whenever I want and it's been that is not the way I was when I was dancing or beginning of college when I was first playing rugby at that collegiate level was very aware of what I was putting in my body and now I really enjoy the freedom of I guess you can call it intuitive eating <laughs> no yeah. and it is freedom like yeah. you said
0: We will come back to the Harvard rugby culture, but first, because you talked a little bit about CrossFit and performance, I want you to take a moment now to brag about whatever strength goal or whatever fitness goal you've hit, and then you can look back at this in like (laughs) a year or whatever and be like, oh my god, baby numbers.
1: Okay, uh, (laughs) honestly, (laughs) this isn't even CrossFit related, because I think this... Past the past few months, with with lockdown of gyms and everything, my friend Kat has been dragging me on trail runs. I'm gonna use that as a brag because I never, I've never been an endurance athlete. Like I, I categorize myself as. Sophie, you are a rugby player. You don't run more than like at most 100 meters without a break. (laughs) You can run it fast, but take a break. And so I always wanted to enjoy running more, but never did. I would try to go on like at most run like a 5K very slowly. And then Kat helped me, (laughs) helped drag me on this trail run, which was I think 24K the first time. And there's something about trail running that just takes the pressure off of, I don't know, when you're road running, you don't feel like you can stop and rest or like stop and walk. Trail running, you have to walk uphill or like up the stairs or something. And just the variety in that, it's it's still hard, but I'm very proud of doing the Hong Kong Trail with my friends Kat and Tash, which was like 50 kilometers of running which I never thought I would do and then last weekend Kat and I finished we we split up the sections of the Wilson Trail which is a total of 70k which I don't think I can ever do at once in a day next year when you listen to this you'll be like <laughs> done oh <Okay>, we'll see <laughs> um, depends on if we go into more lockdowns but we we finished sections eight nine and ten on Sunday and that was just painful but we got through it so yeah that. That is probably one of my, something I'm proud of this year, just getting out into nature as well and appreciating all that Hong Kong has to offer. But also a testament to how well your body moves when we feed it and fuel it <laughs> for the activity. Yes, and I remember the best part of that day on Sunday was Kat and I went directly from the end of that trail to Stone Grill Steak. It's like a Japanese place where we ate 400 grams of steak. She, uh, well, I actually didn't finish it. Cat did. But 400 grams of steak is a lot. <laughs> and we ate it. How did it feel afterwards? Just like... Just to eat. It's got to fuel your body with, you know, what it wants. <laughs> Obviously, some men struggle with the
0: same things. But I don't feel like they're ever told to not eat when yeah. they're like working out and things like that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think when... A lot of, um, I had the same problem, but a lot of female athletes I know will over-exercise or under-eat. When I was back in Shanghai one summer, I went to Orange Theory a lot. I don't know why I did this, but it felt like because I had bulked in college, because we were lifting so much, especially during the off-season, I felt like I needed to cut down. So going to Orange Theory, which was quite a lot of cardio, I would go on an empty stomach, And then afterwards, because it was an intense workout, wouldn't have an appetite. So then wouldn't eat until like late afternoon as my first meal and also a relatively small meal. Then because I ate in early afternoon, I wouldn't be hungry for dinner. So would just eat a small dinner and then do the same thing every day. And I successfully cut like to then go back to college the next year, lift again, bulk again. But it felt like that was like what I had to do during the summer to bring my body to a low level of muscle and fat and everything to then just bulk it up again. I don't know. The whole over-exercising, under-eating strategy is is used by quite a lot of female athletes, which is very different to a lot of male athletes because yeah. I just think performance-wise, you're like, I guess I have a theory about it. You, As a male athlete, performance and aesthetic goals are aligned. You only have one direction to go <laughs> versus female athletes you... Once again, going back to the whole, you want a perky butt, but you don't want a butt made of just muscle. I don't know why we have these constraints. Yeah, so many (laughs) Uh, rules on ourselves. So many rules. Too many rules to follow. Yeah, you want muscular legs, but you don't want legs that like, people, when you walk in the street... People look at you and they're like, oh, that's too manly. Yeah. When there's one target, it's much easier than when there's multiple targets or just no target at all. And you're like, okay, where do I go? What do I do? That was another thing that paper said to compare
0: the ACL rates in men and women is unfair because we're not on an equal playing field. Anyways, Uh, mm. men are told that strength training is good. It will help you like reach aesthetics and performance. But women, you're like, oh, but if you lift too heavy and you get strong, then you'll look bad. And it's not an equal playing field, so how can we compare injuries, how can we compare performance the same way when society is
1: different? The whole topic, I guess, bringing, bringing it back to Harvard... There's this (laughs) another shout out here. There's a group that a couple of my friends started uh, when I was a sophomore called Women of Harvard Athletics, which a year later, I'm also co-president of because these are the topics that we need to talk about as female athletes. There is such stigma talking about it because it's hard to go to your strength and conditioning coach and be like, hey, I have this problem where I think about societal beauty ideals. When I say that, I feel like I'm not an athlete. Athletes should not have that mentality and care so much about what society thinks. But I'm also just a normal girl who cares about what society thinks. It's hard to talk to your coaches about it. It's hard to talk to your, obviously, strength and conditioning coaches about it when their job is to help you maintain strength and and perform for your sport. So it's important to loop them in on these conversations as well. Everyone's battling their own journey. You don't know what someone's going through at that moment.
0: I was also having a conversation with one of my professors the other day and she was talking about with coaching women or the female athletes tend to fill in the blanks a little bit more. So when Mm. we approach them and we say oh we're doing this for injury prevention what they're hearing is like oh, I'm prone to injury and things like that. So yeah. instead of approaching it through these different lenses, we just need to focus, like you said, on performance and be like to improve performance. And yeah. that will in result or subsequently, yeah. like it'll prevent injuries in the long term when we focus on that.
1: My experience with a coach telling me we lift for injury prevention, I think was actually positive because to me, I was like, obviously I don't want to get injured in, in rugby. I, I remember asking my strength and conditioning coach, why do we have to lift so much weight? I didn't tell her. In, in the back of my mind it was like why do we have to lift so much weight I don't want to get bigger but she answered with Sophie when you're on the rugby pitch and there are people like throwing themselves at you that impact that you feel out there you need to be able to, to absorb that impact in the strength and conditioning um, stuff we're doing as well so that's why we lift heavy to make sure that you can take your body can take that impact out there on the, on the pitch and to me that just i, I- I remember that because it was one of those moments where I was like, okay, I'm taking a step towards focusing on athletic performance and not aesthetics. I was gonna say,
0: even yeah. framing it like that, it sounds more like you're doing this to be a badass person who can, like, yeah. ram it's, other people it's, into it's the less, ground.
1: It's less framed as injury prevention, yeah. more like you're doing it to get stronger. <laughs> yeah. Your body is going to take impact yeah. in here and then out there. Yeah, deal with it. We're getting huge in here. <laughs> So, how was the
0: environment, the rugby environment at Harvard?
1: It's very, very professional. I'm this year. I've uh, realized how grateful I should be for it because it is just such a professional environment. Our coaches are amazing. We do film analysis. The facilities, the equipment we have, everything is. I. I've, Feel very, very lucky to be a part of it. And very grateful for all the support and money we get for creating a women's rugby program in the U.S. at that level. Yeah, I I definitely miss it a lot. I'm very grateful for the year and a half that I got to play. Very successful. I think the reason why I'm not sad thinking about it is because the quality of those memories during just... A short year and a half we won ivy championships won national championships have won a lot of things and accomplished a lot within that time yeah absolutely no sad thoughts when it comes to harvard rugby because in such a short time we accomplished so much with great 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 teammates coaches. <laughs> so from dance, you're yell- or being yelled
0: at for your weight, your weight is being broadcast to the room. And then you come to rugby, you're working with a team full of women who are like, one goal in mind is to win, right? Was it a tough experience coming from ballet is so individual to then going into a team sport? And having to work with people?
1: Are you competing with them? That's a very interesting question that I've never been asked before. I definitely do well in team environments. Harvard rugby is hands down, has one of the best team cultures from my experience in the world. It's it's definitely family and you support each other no matter what. There's, there's really no drama between us. When you see someone's down at a training, you pull them up with you. If you step out there on the pitch, we win together, lose together together, everything. It's the environment that I needed uh, going into college, being far away from family, moving halfway across the world. I definitely had a lot of uh, my own internal things going on but harvard rugby was always the thing that i held on to and made it better speaking on the competitive element we are competitive within the team for obviously positions but we we have just like fundamental respect for each other if someone gets picked for a position over you you go to them and you congratulate them like there isn't there's no drama with that you know you worked hard you know that they worked hard If they get selected and you didn't, you'll use that as motivation to work even harder. Um, So I think the team culture is based off of, you know, respect for each other, family and just hard work all the time, motivate each other. Yeah. And that's probably what I miss the most right now. I I don't know what I would what my first two years would be like at halfway across the world without that team and my coaches because they were like, big sisters to me who guided me through everything. And that's what you want as as a freshman going into college, just a family to welcome you already. That makes me so happy. Yeah, no, talking about it just makes me miss, like, those very casual moments in the locker room, hanging out with people. I, everyone does their, like, homework in the locker room. Some people even, like, really? sleep in the locker room. Yeah, it's a pretty nice locker room. Um But... We're very comfortable around each other. <laughs> I want to
0: go back to what you said about women of Harvard Athletics. Is that what it was called? Yeah, we're
1: currently called Undergraduate Women of Harvard okay. Athletics because of <laughs> logistical elements. Yeah. yeah, it's a very recent organization that we started just to connect. The two goals were one to have a platform to talk about topics like body image, food, mental health for female athletes. And then the second was to connect all the female athletes at Harvard because there are so many of us. Just provide social events for, for people to go to. Yeah, it's it's been great because obviously you have all these different teams, different sports, different experiences. Female athletes playing rugby probably have different experiences to on like body image to female athletes playing. It feels very validating knowing that probably every female athlete has gone through some version of this spectrum performance versus aesthetics
0: i think that's a really important thing to remember is that you're not alone like when you're thinking that those things
1: everybody has felt that to some extent connect that connect all female athletes and that's what your podcast is doing as well i mean i hope (laughs) sharing female athlete stories and and making everyone realize that you're not alone in this also wanted to focus on the fact that you're very deserving of the things that you have like you've come in
0: here with a theme of yeah, I kind of got it. Like, just go ahead, do it. But you've kind of downplayed, I think, a little bit the hard work that you've obviously put in to get these things that you want. You said we were talking off the podcast earlier, you spent months and months on like application processes and things (laughs) like that, like you're busting your ass to get those things. So with that in mind, tell me something now that makes you
1: proud and you're like, fuck yeah, I did it. This might be an interesting thing to talk about to kind of turn the podcast in a in a different direction. It's something I want to talk about on a platform that gets shared with quite a few people, because it's definitely an important topic, which is mental health, and also one of the topics that I think was brought to my own attention going going to university uh, halfway across the world. Everyone has this, this also goes along with the theme of, you know, imposter syndrome and Feeling out of place. Everyone has this image of Harvard of being like an amazing, perfect place, but Harvard has probably the highest rates of uh, students with mental health issues, and I think that's just because you have a lot of smart people who are very aware of life going by, and when you're when you're a type of person who sits down and constantly analyzes life and asks what's the purpose of this and this and this. I guess when you study psychology as well and you realize, oh wait, I have my own psychological problems. It all becomes kind of confusing, ironic a bit, but basically my story with this is And this is a very long story to answer what I'm proud of, but I'll get to it at the end. My freshman year, I actually got injured spring semester. It was just, it was a high ankle sprain, which is much worse than a normal ankle sprain because it takes, I think it was like nine weeks of of not playing. That's when you start feeling a bit isolated when you're injured, I think. But being in the U.S. injured made me realize that I wasn't having the greatest time outside of rugby. Rugby was going well, but college is hard, especially socially. And I think everyone paints this, you know, beautiful image of it, but it's hard to connect with people who didn't have the same experience as you growing up in Shanghai or don't have their parents that far away. And I had some pretty... I, it got to a point where I was like, I think this is pretty serious. Um, I need to see someone. I, <laughs> My Instagram username back then was at sophiehappygirl with a U, girl. And it got to a point where I was like, why is that my username? I'm the opposite of that right now and it was scary as well because I was always you know high school I was pretty happy pretty positive pretty optimistic and then it got to a point where I was like I don't feel like I should be having these thoughts why are they so dark why are they who am I who your first question (laughs) and I ended up going back to shanghai that summer after my first year at college and i had all these plans for that summer to you know work hard be an athlete go back to the go to shanghai for two weeks visit my family and friends then go back to Washington DC and play rugby for the entire summer, and then go back to Boston, continue playing rugby for the the next year. What ended up happening was that I went back to Shanghai, I was supposed to leave Shanghai, I had one of my very first panic attacks, which is a horrible, horrible feeling of mix of sweat, tears, shaking, bad stuff, and realized that I didn't want to leave shanghai i i remember my this was the first one (laughs) a few weeks later we rebooked my flight to try and leave shanghai my parents drove me to the airport which was like an one hour drive and i think i bawled my eyes out the entire ride and had my second panic attack right as we got into the parking lot of the airport i just my parents were like, we're not letting you go on a plane like this. And that's when I realized how serious it was. And I mean, I like study psychology and had taken a class called like abnormal psychology that year about depression, anxiety, about antidepressants and everything. And here I was going through it, not acknowledging that, that it was happening to me. It was one of the hardest conversations to have with my dad at that time about what was going on, about these thoughts, about what I was going through, and ended up going to a psychiatrist in Shanghai. I ended up taking antidepressants that entire summer. This took a very serious note, but I think everyone has their own journey with it, whether you're taking antidepressants, or you're going to see a therapist, which I think a lot of people do and, and should do. But my journey with it was I ended up doing that that summer, went back to Boston, saw a therapist doing cognitive behavioral therapy the whole year, and I still felt like I wasn't, I wasn't going anywhere. But I remember being proud of sharing it with a lot of people in Women of Harvard Athletics, with a lot of my friends at that time with my parents I think it was this time last year March 2020 where I posted it on my social media and it was my heart was like thumping out of my chest when I did that because these were you know acquaintances that didn't really they just knew me as like Sophie on the outside Sophie rugby player Sophie pretty happy or co-president of this blah 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 or in high school like oh Sophie rugby player athlete who goes to harvard she must have a great life and i didn't want that image out there of everything is perfect when you go to harvard it's not (laughs) and so i posted about it and i remember feeling very very proud that i did because that was like the real me and putting the real you out there is really scary but i told people about the therapy the antidepressants panic attacks the constant crying that i do and i think I've gone to a point where talking about it now isn't scary anymore. Like it's you normalize it in your own life. I talked to a lot of friends about mental health as well and about this whole story. I'm proud of that, but what I'm most proud of is that between March 2020 when I posted that and now, I came back to Hong Kong. My therapist in the US isn't licensed to practice outside of the US, so I had to find other options for myself in Hong Kong. And it was actually my dad who coincidentally met this hypnotherapist in Hong Kong. To most people, hypnotherapy, you're like, you react with, sorry, what? I've actually done it before. <laughs> really? As well, yeah, 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 So that's so interesting that you've done that. So, so I went to this this guy, I was pretty skeptical. You don't learn about hypnotherapy when you're majoring in psychology as like the first type of therapy. <laughs> I felt I, I'd gone to probably over five different therapists at this point. And every time you go to a therapist, this is for all the people who don't know what it's like to go to a therapist, but usually the first session is like a consultation and you have to tell them about, you know, your past, when it started, oh, freshman year, I got injured. And then I started having these thoughts. And then I went to the psychiatrist, he prescribed me this antidepressant. And I, that was my least favorite part of going to any therapist because you're just reciting you're, you need a, they need to get to know you and you need to get to know them and build trust And you go through this whole journey. But with this guy, I go to this hypnotherapist and I didn't have to, I started telling him the story, but he just stopped me. It felt like he could read my mind. Basically what I understand from, from him and hypnotherapy is that they kind of have, he has the ability to like sense your aura. (laughs) They call it being an empath. They can really sense your vibe, I guess. And so he started asking me questions that made me cry on the spot because because of how pinpointed they were at the exact things that were bothering me, which I probably never would have told him in my classic, I'm running through my mental health journey. But I go to this guy for around two times a week from June until I think end of August. And I don't know what it is. I, I feel like... I need to do a TED talk on this or something because I'm still trying to figure it out myself. I don't know what it is about hypnotherapy that really got to the bottom of what was going on in my life. I just started feeling genuinely happier, able to live in the moment. I, I mean, when you have like Anxiety—you can't stop thinking about the future and dreading things and feeling regret about the past and all these different thoughts. That too many thoughts going on, and sometimes the only way that I can shut off those thoughts were was was to like stay in bed all day and sleep. And honestly, I still do that sometimes. Did it yesterday. Hypnotherapy was something very weird that brought me to a point of he. Actually told me, which is how I know he's a good therapist. At the end of August, he told me, "Hey, I think, I think you're healed. You're done." And I, I think psychologists in general, any therapist, w- would never say you're healed. Those words because you you just never know. You you never you can't really say that. I guess you you can always like lapse back into it. But when he said that, I was like, "Oh, what? Really? Oh, okay, I don't need to see you anymore." <laughs> and I, it's been eight months—no, seven months—since since then. And I haven't seen a therapist. I haven't taken any antidepressants, and I feel genuinely like I'm happy in life. It's such a weird story to tell, uh, as you're one of the things you're proud of. I think when when you go from a time period in your life where you just don't feel happy and you're not excited to wake up to a point in your life where life is exciting. You wake up and you want to do things. You want to go on hikes and hang out with friends. You're like, wow, I got through that. I got through that very hard time and I'm proud of it. And you feel stronger than ever as well. Just like looking for solutions, even if they're abnormal solutions like hypnotherapy. But at the end of the day, it's the it's the result. <laughs> and if you're happy, you're happy. And I guess a bit of a tangent story, but I, that's one of the questions that I glanced at and saw, and I knew I was going to talk about this because I just think it's important for anyone out there who needs the help to go ask for it. Cause I wasted a lot of time not asking for it.
0: I think you also need to recognize that it's so obviously you would have <laughs> felt so scared asking for help. Like you said, yeah. it's so frightening. So you were, incredibly brave to do that I can see Sophie like retreating into her shell every time I compliment her she's like (laughs) just like pulling back away from the (laughs) microphone but it's so brave and so courageous so what advice would you give to somebody who's afraid to speak out what steps do you think you could take if you weren't quite ready to ask for help or what steps could you take to make
1: yourself feel a little bit more ready for help it's it's hard i i think back to like when i was in that very very scared time and place sometimes it felt like whatever advice people were giving me wasn't the right advice so i'm honestly i don't know what to say i feel like it's important to to lean on people around you one of the things that i really really strongly believe now is that Whatever religion you believe in, believe in it. But for me, it's having trust in whatever is above the universe, life, you just call it life. You know, life is gonna give you what you need. Sometimes it's not what you want, but it's putting you on a path to something better. And you're only gonna realize that afterwards. In that moment, If someone told me that, I would have been like, go away, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) get out. Yeah, And I think my dad did try telling me that in that moment. And I was like, no. But now in hindsight, obviously hindsight is 2020, but whatever kind of goes wrong right now, whether it's fifth wave, another lockdown, deciding whether to go back to Harvard or not this whole year, COVID. COVID is probably the best example because... Without COVID, I wouldn't have ever gone to hypnotherapy and never would have. Maybe I would have eventually, but I, I wouldn't have solved kind of solved this whole mental health thing for me. Bad things, you know, trust that trust that the universe is backing you in 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 your life. That's pretty shit advice, but <laughs> well, I think we could maybe rephrase that to say
0: whatever happens you just can't stop you just have to keep going yeah keep going things will come out the other way but you just you can't stop and you can't take <laughs> only drastic, way only yeah. way to
1: go is is through it i i journal a lot because of how many thoughts i have and i think it's important to just always write down things you're grateful for to ground yourself every day as well when you know things get shitty think about the things you do have <laughs>
0: That's my average
1: advice right there. Moving
0: from there, do you want to go into a more positive or do you want to go back (laughs) down?
1: Honestly, I don't mind. Wherever uh, you feel like taking me. Okay, why don't we talk about something upsetting and
0: then we'll finish on a high note. (laughs) Okay, okay, I like it. So you're clearly very successful. We're at Harvard. Okay, you can retreat into your shell all you want over there. You've worked hard. You've achieved amazing things. You have pulled yourself out of a depression like that is constant work on yourself so yes yeah, i can either. see her like oh, i'm gonna give her a panic attack now like, oh, No, actually. okay i won't look at you when i say this
1: oh. I, I get very
0: uncomfortable
1: with oh uh, i hate
0: it as well so i enjoy comments. making other people go through it so it's fine i also <laughs> cry sometimes when people compliment okay, me. okay i'm like crying i'm seeing you so anxious and i'm like oh, I'm making me anxious to my result so okay sophie's great we get that fabulous what is the time that you feel like you fail? Yeah,
1: see, that is one of the questions I glanced at and I was like, I don't know how to answer this. I feel like I fail a lot, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is which is why it's so hard to decide on, on
0: one thing. That's true. Maybe that wasn't a good question for me to write. Judy, who was one of the earlier episodes, yeah. I asked her and she was like, well, isn't failure just like life? Like, what, what do you <laughs> yeah. want me to talk about in my life? Fail every day. <laughs> but I think for me, I don't like failing. I'm a perfectionist to, mm. again, anxiety, not... Like it's making me anxious talking about it. So I'm going to slide over that. (laughs) So for me, failure is like a (gasps) be all end all. So I want to kind of, you can hear like my voice
1: speeding up as I'm speaking about (laughs) being
0: anxious or what's something that's given you that feeling of just like, oh,
1: fuck. This is probably a bit of a weird answer, but I'm going to delve into the the details of Sophie's. Past relationships and love life because, I mean, this is something we started with at the beginning of the podcast, but relationships, whether, you know, friendships or romantic are such a big part of our lives that I don't think anyone can, you know, talk about themselves without talking about their past experiences with those. (laughs) Bit of a shout out here, I guess. I feel like one of the things that I always think as a quality of mine is that I'm, I fall very hard. I love very hard. One of my, (laughs) I'm going to throw in a quote here again. One of my favorite quotes is, I found it on Instagram and now it's my phone background. Part of it says, at the end of your life, go out with a beat up, worn out heart that love too much and felt too fiercely to me i just think that's like a beautiful way of saying give it your all whatever you're doing and i think many many people are scared of doing that in relationships because i mean it's easy to get hurt it's you're vulnerable, you're putting yourself at risk. But for me, I'm, I'm pretty decent at it, I guess. Just my heart wants to do what my heart wants to do and goes for it. It also puts me in places of uh, pain and heartbreak as well. But one of the things that I still reflect on as, I wouldn't call it a failure, but I feel like at the time, I definitely thought it was a failure and want to rewrite it as not a failure because I always thought that if I let go of a relationship that was a really long relationship and things weren't going right that that would be me failing to you know fight or battle it out for that person for the relationship and I put myself in a situation where I felt like I deserved more but couldn't due to the mental health stuff going on at the same time as well, I felt like I could never get out of it. I felt like I was always going to be the one in pain and, and all that. And letting go, in my mind, equaled failure. It was like, if I don't persist, if I don't make this work, if I don't make this relationship work, that is a failure for me. Because I'm Sophie, the person who won't stop fighting for a relationship she really cares about. Sometimes it is better for you to let go, but I still reflect on that as like a did was it the right thing to do and still and even in relationships and currently in in the present i tend to find myself fighting for things and battling it out and sometimes not prioritizing myself but is not prioritizing yourself a failure or or not we don't really know and so i feel like in the world of love like you never know what (laughs) what the right thing to do is sometimes You fail at it, and sometimes it was the right thing to do. I guess that's a little story of failure slash not failure, because... You never know. <laughs> and and I guess sometimes failing, I mean, kind of jumping away from, from the whole relationship story and going back to my guitar playing and acting and dancing, all the things that I quit <laughs> at the time felt like a failure because it felt like I wasn't seeing it through. I wasn't grinding it out. And, you know, if I want to be an actress, continue working away at it until, until I get there. Or if I really want to be a successful dancer, push through it, push through the the mentality of uh, having to deal with body image stuff. I did feel like I was failing to persist at the time, but I guess sometimes you need to just walk away from things to find better things. I was trying to think of a way to phrase it. I, I'm like you in
0: some ways, I don't ever want to give up on things and yeah. I have a hard time associating like... I don't even want to call it giving up because that's not the right way of... But it's knowing when to take a step back and being like,
1: this environment no longer serves me. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like the term walking away. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds very neutral. Not giving up sounds... I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, I did give up on guitar playing, dancing and acting, but I can still do those things. So walking away just sounds like you can always come back to it, which I I have now picked up a guitar again and playing for fun and you know I can still go to dance classes and dance for fun so removing the pressure from yourself as well exactly
0: doing it in a healthier setting do you think you've been able to be a bit kinder to yourself more recently now like time has moved on from those past relationships and things like that are you able to be like yes I can do this and it's not a bad thing or are you able to get some of that well-deserved distance or <laughs> are you still <laughs> prioritizing mean, being other people kind to
1: yourself is pretty hard <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I actively try to be kind to myself, I will write things in my journal like, Sophie, you need to like yourself <laughs> or, or, you know, what I think of as kinder things. I think it's true that everyone is their worst critic. And I grew up in an environment where everyone was pretty hard on themselves. Once you get used to that, it's, it's hard to step away from it. But I do think when I have a bad day, when I need a just mental health day, self-care day, I will let myself lay in bed or I will let myself do whatever I need to. But I think it's it's still difficult to be kind to yourself. It should be easier. It's it's easy to be kind to other people, but it's not very easy to be kind to yourself.
0: Exactly. Like when you're talking about it just now, I have a day in bed and I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You deserve that. And then I'm like, fuck you, Tilly, like, get up. <laughs> like it doesn't <laughs> apply to yeah. me as
1: well. Yeah, like you're like, Sophie, you deserve a day in bed, but Tilly, you do not. (laughs) Tilly, if you don't stop stop
0: watching TV. You need to be productive.
1: (laughs) How do you define
0: success now? Has that changed over the years? Note that we're ending. We're gonna. Well, we're not gonna. I like. I feel like we have so much to talk about. (laughs) But we'll come back. Three hour. Back up on a high
1: note before we can go back down again, or we can. How do I define success? Definitely not the Harvard way. I. I think I was talking to someone about this this past week about kind of where I see my future going. Well, okay. Currently, I feel like this entire year has just thrown me off a bit. I was always the plan was to graduate high school, go to college for four years, probably live and stay in the US. But then COVID sent me to Hong Kong. And then I met all these people. And now I feel like I want to travel. I want to play rugby in New Zealand. I I don't even know. Like, I feel like life is kind of upside down. In high school, you think success is what college you go to. And then in college, you think about success as what job you're going to get after college and the money that you make with it or or the position. I think the way I was raised my family, I never cared too much about like eventually working in consulting or making this amount of money or working in finance because it was always about working a job. that you love feel like that's Confucius right there work a job that you love and you never have to work a day something like that
0: another perfectly (laughs) said quote
1: and I think I I learned that from my dad because he spent a lot of his life working in a bank and now he's retired realizing that he didn't want to be in an office for that long during a huge chunk of his life he wanted to be traveling and doing all these things to me I've always wanted to work in the sports industry because I feel like that's what gets me going in the morning wake up up and think about working in sports, I'm like, wow, that sounds great. But honestly, even now I'm questioning that a bit. I'm like, is that what I want to do? The goal is to eventually obviously work in a, in a field that I enjoy, whatever that is. And also to do the things that I want to do in life, whether that's travel, go play rugby somewhere, going back to what success is for me. It's just to wake up and continue being happy. At the end of the day, if if you're happy, living a happy life with people around you that you care about and are happy with, then that is a very successful life for me. And it doesn't matter how much money is involved or what title it can be, whatever it is. (laughs) That makes you happy great. That does make
0: me that 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 makes me happy. That's achieved the goal.
1: You talked a bit about
0: rugby in New Zealand.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that. I guess this is a bit of a, a universe moment as well. I like that. I've, I've been using that term a lot lately. We love the universe moment. here. The, this the, the universe moment where things just seem to align. I have a friend who's doing an exchange semester in New Zealand. Well, now not semester. He's like there for a year because of COVID. Uh, Lucky him, he gets to be in New Zealand. And he actually, when I first got to Hong Kong and I was in quarantine, he called me up and told me about how great it was playing rugby in New Zealand. And I started doing some research about different women's clubs and playing there eventually as an option. I wasn't that (laughs) committed to it. And then through living in Hong Kong and meeting more people in Hong Kong from New Zealand... I've realized what a cool country it is and that I really, really wanna go there. I have been looking into it for post-college plans. Not too many Harvard alumni that I can go network with in New Zealand, but we'll find a way to get a job there play for a reg- play for a rugby club there. And I think that's also more specifically about my rugby journey. I've gone through a bit of a whirlwind in terms of national teams because of complications with my passport. I have a German passport which has made it complicated in terms of training in the US and having a lot of my friends be eligible to play for like high school All-Americans, collegiate All-Americans, and then eventually be in the pool for the US national team, which a lot of my teammates are um, and I'm very proud of them. But that made me, that put me in a position of, I went to these more casual camps. Coaches would actually express interest in inviting me to go to these All-American things that I couldn't go to because I had a German passport. And then I got frustrated with that Jumping back to the theme of emailing and Facebook stalking and going for it, I found the Facebook of the German head coach for the U18 national team, and I Facebook messaged him, <laughs> and that resulted in me going. We jumped on a call with my dad as well, but eventually I went to Germany to a training camp with this team when I was 18 this was my senior year in high school then to Andorra of all places you can only get to Andorra by flying into Barcelona and driving to Andorra with a bus so that's what we did and we played the U18 European championships there and we actually won as a as a German team since then I haven't Haven't been with the German rugby setup because I went to the U.S. and was busy playing there. But also kind of a weird universe moment. After my first year... I came back to China, Shanghai, where I was visiting family, friends, and the former New Zealand Sevens head coach, who is now the current Chinese Sevens team head coach, he actually reached out to me and invited me to go to a camp in the middle of nowhere in China to train with them for a few days because they were looking to set up a team for Tokyo 2020 Olympics, which they qualified for eventually, which is now postponed and probably canceled. (laughs) Um, so I guess it's pretty good that I didn't say yes to that, but I did go to this camp. Logistically, it didn't work out because I would have had to give up my German passport for a Chinese passport, and that wasn't something I was willing to do. Basically, this was a long story of how did Sophie's rugby career not work out so that she could play for a national team other than Germany. But at this point, I'm very content with that because I just want to play rugby at a good level, and I can do that at not a national level, in in somewhere like New Zealand. And so to me, I was the type of kid that like had Tokyo 2020 literally as a poster on my wall when I was in high school. That was the dream. Like that was the way of defining success as a rugby player. And now success doesn't need to be going to the Olympics or playing for a national team. I know a lot of girls here who play for the Hong Kong national team and that would also be a cool pathway to take but also not something that I'm that I desperately need in my life to be able to say that hey I'm still a rugby player still successful I don't need to cap for a country were you 18 when you emailed that German coach I was 18 yep
0: Uh, Where did that drive come from? Because I'm like, I don't know if at 18 I would randomly message people to just be like, "Hey, I want to play." Well, I mean,
1: I told you the story of me at 12 emailing the (laughs) random director. I feel like I just—I've always been pretty confident in my emailing abilities. (laughs) (laughs) Send it out. Just hope. Just no. Literally, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So send those emails. The Harvard email that I sent to my current coach. The. German head coach email, the director email. There are probably many, many other important emails that I've sent. And honestly, I probably still continue doing it with go on LinkedIn, blind message someone about opportunities, work opportunities, rugby opportunities, send those emails. And then to come back to
0: what you were saying on how success is no longer that national team or no longer that Olympics for you. Was that again, a gradual kind of change? No, it was definitely gradual. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Even when I... Only a couple years ago, when I was 18, played for Germany, went to college. When I was in the U.S., I remember being really bothered about um, my teammates training for the for the U.S. and me not being able to... Because you're not even able to gauge. Like, am I, You start doubting yourself as a player when you don't get to go to these camps and stuff. Because you're not eligible, but in the back of your mind, you're like... It's because I'm not good it's enough. It's because I'm not good yeah. enough. So I started... I cared a lot about my performance I cared a lot about rugby It was still that like I need to succeed In the typical athlete way Which is uh, World Cup or Olympics Or national team I think it was that summer that I talked about Where I ended up staying in Shanghai Because of the panic attacks And didn't go to the rugby camp Where I was like I need to find parts of myself That aren't related to rugby I think in part because of the injury as well That was my only My first and only real like long term injury. So, when you go through that, I think lots of different athletes go through this where you you start finding other parts of yourself outside of the sport you play. You're still an athlete, but there are other parts of you.
0: What is something that makes you feel strong or powerful?
1: Honestly, just all these stories talking about getting through different hard times, talking about being an athlete and going through challenges while doing that and being able to talk about it makes me feel really strong because I don't think too many people are too open about their journeys with with hard stuff like that I'd say it makes me feel strong to be able to reflect on all of this stuff and feel okay and hopefully be able to inspire other people to eventually share their stories or that things will be okay whatever they're going through you
0: mentioned that you write in your journal that you have to remind yourself to like yourself is there something that you do now or you're just like fuck yes i'm awesome like do you have a brag about i want a little bit of a brag before we finish otherwise we're gonna just be in here in silence just dead air until you
1: okay okay, okay. <laughs> let me think i want to go back to the whole the, the quote of going out at the end of your life with a bruised up heart it's a it's a weird brag but <laughs> weird flex But I feel like I approach life with that all-in attitude. A famous U.S. president once gave this speech called the man in the arena speech. And we talk about this a lot, but but the gist of the speech is you don't want to be on the side not wanting to enter the arena of, you know, life because you're scared of getting beat up by it. You want to be in the arena fighting putting everything in there, being bruised up, getting stabbed, whatever. You want to be all in because one life, you're one shot at life and got to take every chance you get. So I think that is something that makes me feel strong that I have that ability to be in the arena for a very long time, getting bruised up.
0: <laughs> you are a badass. You can say that.
1: <laughs> you can finish. I'm not going to say I'm a badass. I'm going to say I'm being in the arena. <laughs> yeah,
0: we're in the arena and we're living lives. Is there any final parting words of advice or anything else you want to share before we go?
1: Be in the arena. (laughs)
0: Get the fuck in there. (laughs) Get in the arena
1: if you're not in the arena. Is that something
0: you wish someone had said to you earlier? Is there anything that you're like, oh, fuck, I wish I had somebody say that to me?
1: It feels very validating to think of it. Think of the things that I've been doing in in rugby and sport in college in relationships and life, everything as this arena metaphor because you look back at it as yeah you've been hurt you felt pain but you're still fighting. I do think it would have been nice for someone to say it to me earlier, but without these experiences, I wouldn't even know what it means. <laughs> so, now is a good time to to realize it. Let's just all take care of ourselves i know it's been a tough year for a lot of people lots of changes but trust that life eventually works itself out manifest things i think that's a send emails <laughs> send emails <laughs> yes yeah, send many emails take those chances i'm just gonna recite every quote that i've quoted <laughs> shoot the shots <laughs> you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take uh get your heart beat up and bruised up but love fiercely <laughs>
0: I think that's a hard beautiful work. Way to finish Fuck! <laughs> yeah. I can't even keep working hard. I still can't say it. Hard, hard work, work beats. T- okay, got, <laughs> pff, whatever. Hard, hard work. <laughs> hard work. Just hard work, everybody. Just Yay. hard work. Yeah. Be kind. Take care. Thank you so much for doing this. This was fun.